I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in wonder. I am McLovin. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Glacé Film Club podcast. Yes, here we are once again to dive into a film, dissect it, look at the wider themes and what's related to it and have a good old chit-chat along the way. And of course, it's not just me. As much as you might think I'm just going to rant on all the way, no, my good friend Callum is here to let his film mind grab the film, get his tentacles round it and let you know exactly all the thoughts he's going to pump your way. Callum, how are you doing? Are you ready to dive into this week's film tentacles <laughs> you film t- you film reviewing tentacles <laughs> yeah well i guess yeah i mean it's... grab the film from all different angles and make sure it's covered all the way around i guess it's you know given the film that we're reviewing um this week tentacles is um quite a exactly give me some credit a good a, a good a good use of language really considering what we're reviewing Absolutely, um, absolutely. How are you anyway? How are you doing? Yeah, good. Um, I've, um, for those that are interested, because um, obviously like we drop in or every now and again that I teach um, to sub to, yeah, and I'm, I'm no, I'm resigned. I, I will so you no farewell be a tour teacher. at the minute, isn't it? It's the, the it last is, opportunity yeah. for the people to see you on stage. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's a relief. Um, what else have I been up to? I've just been exploring London. I went to the Lego shop for the first time recently. Nice. Um, <laughs> How, what, where, yeah. when, why? I don't know. I just fancied it, really. Like, I'm, I've said to myself that I'm going to do lots of different things since I moved here. And it was just, you know, that's just one of the different things that I'm doing. Um, I went to a gig last night, which was great. Um, I went to see a folk musician called Beans on Toast. Who you're a fan of, and I think we've chatted about previously on the podcast. Yeah, I've seen him a few times now. Um, he's a good egg. It was um, it was a nice little gig. Uh, quite a new venue, which was quite cool. Um, I don't think what else I've been up to. Uh, I've been striking, been a lot of marches recently. Um, yes, through, how's that you know, been going? Let's give, let's give the listeners a yeah. bit of a kind of political, cultural update. So basically... Um, Everyone, most public sector services have been on strike. Um, it's even more impossible to get a train of late. Um, but yeah, went on strike for better pay, better conditions. Um, it's worked in Wales and it's worked in Scotland, but it hasn't worked in England. So I don't know keep what's going to happen. Keep at it. Keep marching. Keep giving the middle finger to authority to, in some respects. Um, so yeah, all good. Well, you do like having a go at giving the authorities a middle finger, don't you, Callum? Well, the thing is, it's like I it's quite funny really because I have a huge dislike of authority generally. Um, but when I'm in my classroom, I just expect absolute obedience from every kid that I you teach. You have the authority. So there's a, there's a, there's a an interesting sort of irony or construct going on there. Um, but that's 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 for analysis of another time. Um, maybe we can get someone more qualified to come on and um, break that down for us sometime. I, th- I think we'll lose a lot of listeners. 
<laughs> if that was to happen. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you for the update, Callum. I'm sure everyone always enjoys hearing what you've been up to in your life. I know I certainly do. But let's crack on because we've got another film mm. to dive into. Of course, we've got another film to dive into. And this episode, we've got a documentary. We like to throw a few documentaries in the mix, keep people on the toes, keep it fresh. But what is the documentary this week, Callum? And please, can you give us one of your famous overviews? Take it away. So on the topic of tentacles, this is why that phrasing was quite relevant. It's a documentary about sushi. Uh, it's called Gyro Dreams of Sushi. Um, it was a 2011 Japanese-American um, documentary directed by David Gelb. Um, basically follows uh, the master um, as he's frequently referred to as um, Gyro Ono. Um, and he basically owns um, this sushi restaurant that has had Michelin, three Michelin stars. Um, and it's a 10-seat, only serves sushi. And it's based in a Tokyo subway station, I believe, um, which is quite interesting. Um, and he only serves a menu of 20 courses. And it'll <laughs> cost you... Drum roll, two hundred and seventy dollars to go to American two hundred and seventy American dollars to go there, basically. And he works there with his two sons, and the movie is about kind of looking at how food itself can be a social or moral construct. So it's like the entire family and the chefs that work there devote their entire lives to creating um amazing tasting food basically amazing sushi um but it's not really about sushi i don't think it's more about sort of hierarchy in a restaurant and hierarchy in how in particular food or restaurants can mirror a society a society's hierarchy in some respects it's about sacrifice about the ownership of taste like who decides what tastes good um and who decides what tastes bad um it's kind of like it's a very masculine film as well i think it's a film about masculinity in some respects um on top of the fact that it's based around sushi um but it's been referenced as being a, a very uh culturally important documentary um because I, it tells us a lot about japanese culture as well as sushi itself and there's lots of really really lovely aesthetically shot pictures um of um hands wrapping the rice around the sushi and presenting it and it's just very satisfying to watch in some respects so yeah that's gyro dreams of sushi thank you very much once again callum and to dive straight into that i'm gonna go in at what it was like for me as a just visually um watching experience and the film itself, as you just referenced then, in terms of some of the shots, but also the storyline that it follows is just highly satisfying to consume. So those shots, like you say, there's a very minimalist approach to the film. Like, there's not an overtly um, huge amount of production going on. A lot of the interviews are just shot kind of a bit like freehand cam, um, especially when he goes out in the streets. There's a, um, there's a segment where his son goes to the fish market and he's just been followed around by a handheld camera. It all feels like as you said, that kind of like off-the-cuff documentary feel. But when they shoot the shots of the sushi being laid out and made, 
very, very visually satisfying. It's gratifying to watch these put out there because sushi in of itself is a very minimalist um, area of food as they go into through it. He's not using loads of different ingredients. He's just using good ingredients and has refined the craft over decades. And I think that's the other element of the film. Beyond it just being visually stimulating, satisfying and enjoyable, there's this idea of pursuing a craft to mastery or the pursuit of mastery and that satisfaction one gets from a job well done and that's what i got from it because i think you get that feeling briefly by watching the documentary because you are sharing a glimpse of that satisfaction of a job being done repetitively over and over again to reach a certain level i think the question it then poses to us is look at this here's a a guy, his children, and then the employees who are spending decades refining one art form, a very simple art form at its core, what it's delivering, but something that they've made complex in the way they go over and over to reach a certain level. And they, and there's a food critic who I think provides a great narrative voice throughout the documentary scene in the restaurant while so at his desk talking about it. He talks about how well, it's just known that that's the best sushi you can get. He's not necessarily doing anything different. They've just done it over and over again. The question that poses then, is it worth it what they're doing? What's the benefit for the people who go and for the staff and the individual satisfaction? And what's the cost of that? The cost of the life dedicated to it. The sons, one of them goes and sets their own restaurant. One is there to go and take over him. But he talks about how he's in his 50s and he's still not running the restaurant. And there's this, there's almost a frustration amongst the sons, but they feel like they have to follow in this because they're so far deep into it. And I think it leaves you that question of, yes, I, as a filmmaker, am making you feel these satisfactions that the um, sushi makers, sushi chefs have got over years of doing the same thing over and over again. But it's for you to decide, decide whether it's worth it. But I think the main takeaway I get from it is just that pure satisfaction of a craft done well is something that you don't necessarily see in a, a film. It's not a throwaway thing. It's something consistent and simple and minimalist. And I like all those things. And that gave me a very good watching experience. What about you? What did you feel for that, the initial kind of just watching experience of it? I think it was it was an interesting thing just to experience, really, because I know nothing about sushi. Um I didn't particularly know anything about um, how the importance that Japan places on the, the dish itself. Um, culturally, I found it just an interesting window into a very small... It was like a tiny little restaurant in a Tokyo subway station actually allows you a window into Japanese society and Japanese culture um, in some respects. I liked that element of it. Um because it was nothing. I've I've watched lots of food do documentaries about food generally, but I've never watched something that focuses ex it focuses exclusively on one specific type of food, as it, it and the importance that is placed on it. So there's a lot of moments where they're talking about the type of fish that they're using in each dish, um, and how when they go to the fish market. Um, they they talk about how some fish you can't buy anymore because it's been overfished. Um, yeah, because so there's a little of, kind of nod to like ecological factors there, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. But it's more about how like there's almost kind of like a a moral aspect to it as well mm -hmm. because like they make a reference to like you can get sushi in every single supermarket now, yeah. and the taste and the quality and the meaning of it has been diluted in the sense of sort of 
consumerism basically like they reference like sushi on conveyor belts and like gyro hates the existence of that because it's not pure in his mind so the, the sort of the overfishing has affected his sort of restaurant in some respects so the the care and attention that he puts into and the his chefs put into developing a dish mean means more in the face of um how much sushi there is on the market generally um what he's doing matters more because he's doing it traditionally keeping his roots and all that sort of stuff um at times i thought is it a, like it's, it's certainly about passion and it's certainly about sacrifice like you devote your entire life to you know developing one thing well which i think is quite rare in some respects, in our society, it's Which rare. Is kind of anti the anti modern in a way, isn't it? The kind of yeah. the, the fast culture, the, the, as you say, the consumerist culture it goes against that. Well, that juxtaposition as well, isn't it? Between like what he talks about, how the sushi is just is literally on a conveyor belt. Like you go to Yo Sushi, and it's like on a conveyor belt, um, and it's like no, you take a step back and you enjoy the food for what it is. Like he has a twenty course tasting menu. Um, and it forces you to experience the food itself as an experience. And there's a hierarchy going on there as well, because he, like the Michelin stars, were achieved by his son, weren't they? Yeah. Um, but it's like his name on the masthead still. So there's an element, there's like a sort of patriarchal thing going on there, um, which I thought was quite interesting. And there were moments. Do you think, just, I just want to pick you up on what you're yeah, saying there about like, the essence of food and yeah. maybe more modern fast food culture. But does that just tap into a classic discussion from like fine cuisine is that, okay, yeah, of course we should be savoring food and we should be using good ingredients and stuff, but it's easy to say that when you have access, it's a, it's a wealth thing. So should, should the masses have access to a lower quality of something? Because as you said, it was what, $270 to have a meal Mm. there. Isn't that the same just discussion of when they have high end chefs going, oh yeah, well I use all this and use all that. And you know, I've taken it down to its core, but oh yeah, it was going to cost you a few hundred pounds to come and eat at our restaurant. Well, I think like, it's like kind of like a marketing, it's like a, this, this is what I'm saying. It's like the sort of hierarchy thing where it's like this sort of like, the, the better something tastes, the more expensive it is. But the whole identity around Gyro's restaurant and his son's restaurant is the fact that, like, we're producing something that is better. And it's better because we say it's better. Um, and, like, the, I mean, the thing is as well, there's kind of like a... It's almost like an ownership of taste in some respects as well. So, like, it's not that necessarily, like, their argument is that those big sort of like sushi should be made accessible to people, but it should be good. And they don't think it's, they don't think that it's good. Um, so they charge more because their sushi, because they, they don't think that the sushi that's sold on the mass market is any good. So they produce something that's traditional. Um, like the guy that sits outside the subway station, um, like individually fanning each of the leaves and things like that. Like, there's a process, a mechanical process, a time and a labor that's been spent to um, make someone think that the food is good. Um, and I think deep down, there's a, there's a purity to it all, and that's good. But there's still a kind of like an, an ownership of taste in some respects. Because like there's the scene when, like we said off mic, when the guy makes over 200 of those egg 
dishes. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and it's like before oh, they say oh, that one was all right. Yeah, exactly. It's oh, I've made two hundred of these, and out of all the ones that I've made, you say that this, like, oh, that one was that one was okay. And it's like, how can you discern what the taste was like when you tasted the first one? It's like when you've had a hundred and nine egg dishes, how can you say that that one's better tastes better than the one that you had at like the fortieth one? So yeah. it's just a bit. It, I, there's a bit of a sort of like a there's there's a hierarchy of taste going on there. It's like I will decide when it's good, um, and you'll never know because I'm deciding. There's an element of that, and it's it's kind of like there's there's a lot of constructs of sort of like gender in there as well. Like again, we were saying like oh, he gives women um, smaller portions than the men, so everyone finishes at the same time. There's kind of like a masculine ownership of taste there. Yeah, there's a huge assumption built into that. Yeah, absolutely, and like. Yeah, it's like kind of, and the the way the staff are treated as well. Like they talk about the sort of high turnover of it. All these people, people that have worked here, can't handle it. Someone lasted less than a day, and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, I would, I would hate to work there. <laughs> like it just seems so intense. But at one point, it's like, is it about the food and the sort of like the providing an excellent service and providing an excellent tasting food? I don't know. It kind of like drifts between cruelty and passion. It's like, and this is why I think what I was saying before. It's for then the viewer to decide is what they think is what are the benefits, what are the because there's a clear thing that's happening there that's different is this pursuit of a craft for decades and decades to get something that's minutely different but is definitely different. And what are the downfalls? What are the benefits? And is it worth it? Should people be pursuing that? But as you were saying, there, well, there's a narrative that they're selling as well. But aren't all providers of anything selling a narrative? As, like as you said, there's only ten people there. His mm. narrative is we're doing it properly, traditionally in the techniques that they should be. We're refining it, whereas this fast food culture. But that that is a narrative part of it. Obviously, the food is incredible. But there's a narrative that you're buying into. It's like, we're going somewhere where there's only 10 people going and we believe believe in this guy doing this and we're against that. As the same as we would go and get in a coffee, which is organically sourced, has a story behind yeah. it. And yeah, it tastes good. It tastes good. But we're also paying for the, the narrative. And I'm not saying good or bad on either side, but I think that's very similar of what's going on there. Yes, he's making unbelievable sushi. That's just, that's the the shallow bit of the documentary. That's your instant read of it. But then the extra bit is, well, okay, why? What What is it that connects people to this guy beyond it just being good food? But what I would say is like, I think this is a deeply philosophical documentary in what it's trying to do because we spoke earlier, Callum, and you were kind of, you were saying about this, but I think that it's... <laughs> It's not a specifically about sushi. It's about, and here's the pretentious phrase I'm going to use. It's about the essence of being. He's not <laughs> questioning who can make the greatest sushi. He's questioning yeah. how do I find what it is to be human, what it is to be alive. Because right at the beginning, he talks about how he got into the craft, how he was dead poor, his dad left him, and he just so happened to become a, a sushi trainee chef, and he committed his life to it. He like the suggestion is he could have ended up doing anything. The point is that he committed his life to the pursuit of this, and this is what he will 
continue doing until he's unable to or until he dies because that's the pursuit the sushi is the byproducts of it but it's about what is it to be human what gives us that real satisfaction and and then as you say it brings that philosophical element and the kind of ecological um bit in there saying like what is it that we should be doing to get satisfaction and to kind of live together and i think that's the main thing i get out of the film beyond just the visual elements of it well on that as well because he keeps talking about his age as well like yeah. that that's 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 a constant point that's referred to throughout the whole movie even when people come and um experience what the byproduct of his passion people mm-hmm. like they talk about his age quite a lot generally um age is something that plays a huge role in the movie um in the documentary sorry um because they talk about how the rice has to be kept at a, for a certain amount of time before it's served and it's like you know this fish has to be um, matured as well. So, like they talk about tuna, for example. He loves tuna, like as a, a he loves the tuna fish. But it's like even he talks about how you have to allow tuna to get to a certain age before it can be eaten. And there's an interesting juxtaposition going on there between the age of fish and the age of him, because it's like you don't become yeah, good. good without age, basically. A like experience and age and um, commitment and is is something that produces great food. It's also great art as well. But he also talks about health as well. Like I, you know, healthy a healthy mindset in terms of like actually no, I take that back. I don't know if it is necessarily a healthy mindset because it's so he's so driven in his pursuit of produ- producing something that I think in his mind he'll never be able to um, achieve. There's always, yeah, which I think you know is mean? fine, but it's who he drags along with him. And I think the yeah. bigger question is, not is he satisfied, but are his children satisfied? I don't, I, yeah, indeed. This is what I was saying earlier. Like, There's an element of like, when does the passion and when does the sort of satisfaction become cruelty? Because there was moments in the documentary where I was just like, this is just quite cruel. Like the way people are, worked to the bone like there's a there was a bit when it was like you know, you, you know he calls you up and it was like oh you could you know you have to commit your entire existence to in some respects someone else's dream someone else's yeah. vision it's about like people he brings people with him to produce something great and there's i think the people that work there want to produce something great for their own sense of self but also there's an element of like you're only ever working towards someone else's vision. Because again, his son was the one that got the Michelin star and he was never credited for it. It was all... Yeah. until it was, it was, The key's in the title of the film, isn't it? Well, exactly, yeah. It's, so it's like a dream. Dr- it's a dream of, yeah. And I don't think he's ever going to achieve it. And I think the people that are working for him, um, they want to achieve something. But of course, the dream of what it is, is constantly in a state of flux. Hence why, you know, the guy makes 200 egg dishes before he he decides that it's good. And it's like, yeah. what what is good? You know what I mean? It's well, like, a, I think it, there's a balance at play there. Like there really is because it's, as you're saying, they want to have their own dreams, but there's something satisfying in the pursuit of something that you'll never reach because the pursuit itself is the satisfaction. And that's why I think it's a really clever film because it throws you on both sides. It's like, is this madness? And... Uh, is he inhibiting his own and other people's lives to actually have some kind of success and satisfaction? Or is the real art and beauty in life is just pursuing one thing and never know, knowing you're never actually going to get to that material goal? But 
there's the satisfaction. And I think the film doesn't push you either way. It allows you to make your own mind up there. And I really like that. And what I also love about film, the film is the minimalist element. I know I mentioned it before, but I think it really aligns the minimalist element of the filming and storytelling. There's not too many characters in it telling the story. The way it's shot is very minimalist. But of course, the way they approach the food is minimalist and sushi is minimalist. And when you're talking about tuna before, those scenes when he goes to the, the fish market are, are beautiful because you get to the core of these stories from these guys. And there's one where he's chatting to this guy who's selling fish. He's like, I want to retire. I'm tired. Like It riffs off it, the story a little bit just to give a genuine stripped back view. And it's not overproduced at all. And that cutting through all the themes or anything is the real win of the film for me is that it has the minimalist approach to tell a minimalist story and does it beautifully. Well, I mean, the, the the thing, you mentioned the fish market there as well. I mean, like the focus on colour as well. Like there's yeah. a real there's a real emphasis, even though you say that the production's kind of stripped back. It's like the production doesn't need to be necessarily high because the subject matter of what they're filming is is sort of visually quite striking. Like, you know, the, the, the sort of the, um, the sort of the produce of the ocean, this infinite space that seems to go on forever the depths of the ocean where you can get every single fish yeah. imaginable. Um, and then the bit when, and and that's sort of displayed at the fish market as if it's like a sort of a, almost like a sort of like a, there's like a fetish going on there as well, isn't there? Yeah. In yeah, some yeah. respects, like there's kind of like, it's like see a, that element of it. Yeah. There's sort of like the stroking of the, of the fish and the sort of like the, 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 the way the camera captures the color the colours of the of the fish and the the sounds of the market, the fish market, and the way people move around there, there is a sort of like a fetish going on there, which is quite interesting because like the the way the camera captures that, it's like a, it's capturing a sort of it's capturing a passion, and the way the way we sort of like deal with our sort of ta- our idea of taste. I think the I think the documentary could have made a little. But then again, the documentary isn't necessarily about this, but like when they're at the fish market and they talk about the overproduction of fish, the overfishing of the oceans. And it's like they overfish because of people's demand for, for taste people's demand for food. I want this, this should be in my supermarket. Therefore it has to be there because I want it. There's an element of that. And I think gyro sort of like rallies against that idea in the sense that like the ocean is something that needs to be preserved Hence why what I'm doing is an act of preservation because I'm making the tasting experience more valuable than just buying it because I can. You know what I mean? Mm, I get that. There's an, ele- there's, get there's an element of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, I'm going to wrap us up, Callum. Let's, um, yeah. I, to cut through the other themes, and we talked about the themes in there, and I think it does do a very good job in exploring those different elements as you say, what the kind of the food culture is and the societal elements and then also the order in the kitchen and that satisfaction, the pursuit of mastery. But I just think the where this film really wins is the filmmaking of it, is that it's it's tight. It's a tight 70 minutes. I love a film that's tight, does it well, knows why it's tight, is bold by going, that's all we need. There's no fluff. It's brilliant on that sense. And visually, it aligns the story it's taking with the visual elements of the film. Um, and also, it gives you that question, as I say, it shows his story, but then doesn't push you too far either way. 
but still allows you to make a decision and put those questions in your mind of, oh, I feel the issues with this, but I feel the deep satisfaction of it. And I think the film delivers you a taste of the satisfaction and the pursuit of that beautiful mastery of something in a brief glimpse. And I think if a film can share the emotion with the viewer that is on screen, then it wins hands down. So for that, it's a 9 out of 10 for me. Callum. I agree. Yeah, nine out of ten for me as well. Like the um, the way the subject matter is fascinating. Um, like the the philosophical elements, the movies, this the documentary is fascinating as well. Um, just 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 to have just to have experienced something that I don't knew nothing about as well. Yeah, it's actually made me think about um, sort of like hierarchy of sort of taste and Japan generally. It makes me want to go to Japan. Yeah, definitely. It's like, been long on my list of places I'd like to visit, and this kind of just spurred yeah. me on even more. That and Anthony Bourdain has yeah. really put a, a rocket up my desire to go to Japan. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I thought it was a fantastic documentary. It really makes you think about sort of how food can play such a huge role in people's lives. Yeah. And also, it just I think it's just a good film in showing sort of like rallying against how sort of fast paced our modern society is mm-hmm. quite rare for you to have someone or a group of people that devote so much time to, to something because of yeah, the, it's quite um, a meditative watch. It is. Yeah. And I think, I think that's cultural actually. I think, I think that's, it's got, it's got a lot to do with Japanese culture and that's made, it makes me want to, to investigate more. And I think a, if, if a documentary wants you to sort of, expand your mind more than it's 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 good so yeah wonderful wonderful i agree well thank you very much callum there's thank another you. review yeah. a documentary nonetheless i thoroughly enjoyed that and as you heard i thoroughly enjoyed the film as well thank you for listening if you've not already checked them out we've got some great conversation episodes on our podcast feed at the minute we've been getting a few different creative people involved to have a chat and let me tell you there's some great more ones coming up but there's also some great reviews coming up. We're not going to relent. We're still going to be diving into films new and old, discussing those, and we'll be here for you to have a chat. Let us know what you think. Get onto our Instagram, the Glass A Film Club. Hit us up with a review and a follow. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know where we're at. We'd muchly appreciate it as we want to get that community growing and have more people chatting about the bigger themes involved with film. But... That is that. Until next time, thank you for joining me, Callum. Thank Thank you, you everyone, for listening. And until next time, that was another episode of the Glass A Film Club podcast. See you all later.